Hello again. Uh, I am going to read the scripture passage for today, and it is from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then Jesus told his, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So uh, one more thing we have for you this morning. Um, you can tell I'm, I'm dressed down. It's casual Sunday for me because I'm not actually speaking today. Um, today I'm tagging in one of our elders, um, very wise woman, um, mother of four boys, uh, wife, an entrepreneur, um, all around amazing elder of ours at, the, at, at Watermark Church. So uh, uh, give me a round of likes and hearts for, for Johanna Mutz. Come on up. Um, like Tommy said, my name's Johanna, and I'm one of the elders here. Um, my husband and I have been at Watermark for almost five years now, and when we arrived at Watermark on our first Sunday, it was like taking a long, slow exhale for us. Um, leading up to getting to Watermark, we had been through a pretty rough patch of our lives. Um, we had gotten pregnant with our first child, and we were so excited. And then I ended up miscarrying that first pregnancy. And then from there, we kind of just embarked on a lot of dark and difficult years all in a row. Um, we moved from where we were living in Washington, D.C., out to Denver. And our years in Denver were really, really hard years. Um, we had a lot of issues in our marriage and unhealth in ourselves. And... Um, it was just dark. And so as part of our healing process, we were separated as a couple for a portion of time when we were in Denver. And as part of our healing process, we decided we're going to leave Denver. And we decided to move back to Florida because we're native Floridians. And we decided to come to Tampa. And when we got to Watermark on that first Sunday in early January, we just looked at each other and we were like, this is where we're supposed to be. Um, Watermark has been a huge part of our healing individually and as a couple, as a family. And I just tell you that to tell you how much I really love this place. And I miss you guys all so much. Um, but this, this church really means so much to us. Um, I also am now the mother of four boys. And like Tommy said, uh, if you want to know what it's like to be the mom of four boys, I can tell you that every single stereotype that you just thought of they are all true, every single one of them. It's just as like loud and crazy and chaotic, and it truly does smell just as bad as you just imagined. And I only tell you this, that if you ever come over to my home and you need to use a restroom, you cannot hold me liable for the state of my toilet seats. I have completely let that go um, in my life. So anyways, 
There you go, those are my jokes. Um, also, I've never preached before, so that's exciting. Um, normally, you would be like, oh, rookie preacher, and you'd have to like awkwardly sneak out the back. But because of COVID, you can just like click the little X on the top of your screen and I'm gone. So that's my second joke, there you go. Um, <laughs> anyways, so Tommy laughed really hard, that feels good. Um, so anyways, um, when I went to go pick what I was gonna teach on, for this sermon, I picked a parable that I honestly did not like. This parable really rubbed me wrong, but I kept coming back to it over and over and over again. And I probably sat with it for like four or five weeks, like trying to figure out what is God saying in this and what does he have for us here today? So I'm super excited because after spending so much time with this parable, it really is one of my favorite teachings of Jesus, and I like love it and feel so um, seen by God in it. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and then get started. So Lord, thank you so much for um, bringing us all here virtually today. Um, we love you, Lord, and we come to you with humble hearts to hear what you have to say to us. I pray, Lord, um, for our people. I pray for where we are right now, each individually and as a community. And I pray that what we're studying today will meet us all where we are and that we can hear what you, what you have for us. I pray that you'll calm my nerves and um, help me to remember what I've studied. In your name, amen. So the reason that I didn't like this parable was that I had almost always heard it taught, when it's taught, which is not taught very often, but I've only almost always heard it taught as the, if God doesn't give you what you want, just keep bothering him sermon. And that is what really rubbed me wrong about this. But no matter how many times I looked at it, I couldn't really see anything different there until I started to realize that I think I was reading just the very opening sentence wrong. And when I realized that I've been reading the opening sentence of this parable wrong, I realized Jesus has something totally different to tell us than just keep bothering him until he gives us what we want. And here, okay, first hurdle, can I get, oh, Tommy did it for me. Thank you, Tommy. I was worried about the slides and then there it is. Okay, so the first thing that I wanna talk about here with this is this first sentence. It goes, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And I think that for most of us, at least for me, the way I read that was they should always give up, or they should always pray and never give up praying. But actually, you've got two things happening here that Jesus is asking us to do. It's to always pray and to never give up. And the word give up here in the ancient Greek is ekakeo. And ekakeo has so much more emotion behind it than just our modern day words give up. Because give up can be kind of neutral. You can give up something that's bad for you. You can give up something that's good for you. You can quit. There's so many different ways that you can take give up. But ekakeo actually means to grow weary. It means to lose heart. It means to feel utterly spiritless, to be exhausted. It's a word with so much feeling behind it that you don't get if you just say, always pray and not give up. It really is always pray and don't lose heart. And so once I realized that, I felt like this whole parable was like unlocked for me. So you've got here two characters, and they're about as opposite as they can be. Um, so you have here the widow and the judge. Now, 
There's also a third character in this story that at first you don't see at first glance. But as we get on and as I keep talking, I'm gonna show you there's actually a third character here. And once you see this third character, it changes the way you can interpret this parable. So the judge here. Now, this judge, it says twice that he did not fear God or respect man. So we know this person is an extremely corrupt person. There's also evidence to say that um, this judge was not a Jewish judge, but he was actually probably a Roman judge appointed by Herod. Now, the way that the Jewish court systems work was there were multiple layers. There was like the great Sanhedrin, and then there was a middle group of courts, and then even the local courts, they had three people who sat on it. And God had created it like that to try to protect the vulnerable because in many times a judge is the one who can withhold justice from somebody. And so you see here that this is actually probably not a Jewish judge, but he's probably a Roman judge because there's only one of him here. Now, Roman judges in the ancient times were known for notorious corruption. They were probably some of the most corrupt people in their society. Um, they dealt in power, they dealt in money, they dealt in influence, and a lot of times they required bribes for them to try your case or to give you justice. And there are stories of judges moving into towns and spending a short amount of time there, but collecting large sums of money and doing so by taking bribes from the people who needed them the most. So you've got these, this judge here, and he's very corrupt. And now on the other side of the coin, you've got the widow. Now, the widow is oppressed and without power. Um, widows in Israel were highly oppressed, and women in the first century in general. Um, but you've got this situation here. Now, the way that marriage contracts worked, I feel like you have to kind of understand to understand what maybe is going on here. Because even though the parable doesn't tell us, and Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what the widow is um, you know, what her injustice that happened to her was, there's a lot of evidence to show that it probably was, just by knowing how things were for widows in the first century, it probably was an issue that she was having with her in-laws. Now, marriage in the Jewish culture in the first century was very much a contractual experience. So before a couple would get married, their families would spend a lot of time trying to economically even out the marriage contract before they were married because the idea was to evenly tie two families together economically. Now, in some cases, and not all, but in some cases, there was money given by one person to the other to protect the widow in case of divorce or in case of death of her husband. So I think that there's a chance, and scholars would agree that there's a chance that what's actually happening here is that there's money owed to the widow from her marriage contract that is not being given to her by her in-laws. So she's got a pretty, you know, just case of what she needs. And without this, she is pretty hopeless. Things are dark for her. Um, she didn't have sons, probably, to take care of her. There was probably no other family taking care of her. This judge, and justice from this judge, was her only hope. Um, now, the next thing you see is this really strange interaction between the judge and the widow. So here we go. The first weird thing is, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. 
Now, the reason that that's weird is that it's not like the widow went once or twice, but the widow kept going over and over and over again to the judge to ask for him to right this wrong that had happened to her. What's even more crazy to think about is that women in the first century were not able to go and represent themselves in court. So every day, as this woman walked to the judge to ask for her human rights to be granted, everyone was watching her. Everyone saw what she was doing. Everyone knew she was breaking custom. She was probably afraid. She was probably alone. She probably felt like this was her only option. She probably walked through her town, and everyone probably watched her in the mornings leave. She probably sat in the judge's courts, and everyone around her probably watched her. As the only woman in that place, she was probably the center of a lot of attention. And so that is the first really strange thing that we see here happen. And now the second really strange thing that we see here is we see the, the judge say this. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, and that's the second time that Jesus says this about the judge, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So based on what we know about the plight of women in the first century and about how corrupt this judge was, there's basically no chance that this woman is literally saying, or that this judge is literally saying that he is afraid of the widow coming to attack him. Now, the word attack here actually means hypopiazzo. So hypopiazzo, it has its roots in the sport of boxing. Now, boxing in the first century was a pretty strongly Roman activity. Um, I have here a boxer. He's looking very brooding. He's got leather wrapped around his hands. And now, hypopiazzo is a word that comes from this sport. And it literally means to punch somebody in the face under their eye. Now, like we said, and like I said, there's no way that the judge is actually afraid that the widow is going to come and punch him in the face. But when you realize that perhaps this Roman judge was using this word figuratively, it kind of unlocks it for you. Because what I think the judge is actually saying, I think he's actually saying he's afraid that the people who are watching what happens to this widow day in and day out, they see the black eye that he has. They see that his reputation is being tarnished because of the way he is mistreating the widow. They see who he is, and they see the corruption that he's doling out. And it's here that we see this third character. I channeled my inner Tommy with my stick figures, so here is another stick figure drawing. Um, but it's this third character who I'm gonna call the witness that I wanna talk about more right now. Because it's these witnesses and it's the shame that the judge feels in the face of the witnesses that actually makes the judge change his course. I didn't mention it at the beginning, but I feel like it's worth mentioning now that this word right here where it says the, a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. The word cared here is intrepo. And intrepo literally means that this judge was shameless. But for the first time, when these witnesses are standing here and looking at what the judge does, when they hold up their mirrors and they reflect the injustice that he's doling out to the widow day after day, and they shine it out onto the society around him, 
He feels shame and he changes his course. And, you know, I think here is where I really want to dig in because this is really a story about a broken world. And, you know, I think that oftentimes, I'm missing a page of notes. Isn't that exciting? Oh, wait, I found it. <laughs> um, I think that um, oftentimes we as a culture are not great at sitting with people in pain. But here we're looking at a story of a broken world and a broken society. And I think we need to lean into it because I think there's a lot for us here. In this world, I think there's gonna be times where we're all going to find ourselves occupying one of these three roles. I think that there will be times where we'll be the widow or the witness or the judge. And I think there are people here, and, and I know I've experienced it before, where you might feel like right now you are the widow. Maybe you feel oppressed and forgotten in your marriage. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone who's choosing their own power over yours or corruption. Maybe you see it in society and you are experiencing it in society. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in your families. There's really like no easy words to wrap around what it's like when you are in that role. And I think it's here where we are so tempted um, in our culture to just skip over this. But I don't think that we should. I think that practicing sitting with people in pain and letting ourselves experience it, it's, I think it's really important. Um, I just want to acknowledge that I know that there are people listening to this today who feel that and who feel like that's where they are. They are the widow right now in their life. And I just want to create space for you. We love you, and we see what you're going through, even if we don't know the individual stories of it. Um, we are here for you, and if you need us, we want to show up for you. And I know I've personally been in situations before and in relationships with people before who I felt betrayed by the people who were supposed to love me the most. And it's dark, and it's hard, and it's heavy. And I think there's going to be times where we're going to be the judge. And in some sort of situation in our life, we're going to pick ourselves and we're going to pick comfort or power or money over those around us. Whether it's in a relationship or in society, maybe, like I said, it's in the workplace, but you are the one doing the oppressing. Maybe it's just in the secret recesses of your heart and you don't want to let anybody see it. If you feel like that's where you are today, I think you have to own it. And I think that if selfishness defines you, I think you have to join on the path to change that. Now, I'm pretty straightforward of a person, and so I would tell you this if we were standing face to face, but if you know that and you feel that today, that there is something you are doing that you don't want to quit and you don't want to give up that power or that influence, you want to keep that piece of corruption in your heart, you have to stop because you are harming people and you have to quit it. But at the same time, 
I think that there's a lot of validity to the idea that you didn't get to this place where you don't even recognize yourself anymore overnight. It probably happened lots of small decisions all piled up in a row. And it's unrealistic to think that you're just gonna switch a flip, or flip a switch one day and change. So I think that one of the most important things that you have to do as you start out on this journey is you have to stop and you have to figure out also a way of giving yourself the space and the time to change and to create lasting change because I think lasting change oftentimes happens really slowly. But make sure that while you're on that path of lasting change, you've stopped hurting your brothers and sisters in Christ because that's just not the way of Jesus. And now, here's the thing. I think that this whole passage, it really comes back to what Jesus says at the very start. He told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never lose spirit. So if you're the judge and you feel so lost in spirit, I wanna encourage you. I have been on the other side of the coin and seen people who have changed and seen restoration, and it's so, so worth it. And so I just wanna tell you that to encourage you and to help you to not lose heart. And now maybe right now you feel like you are actually the witness and you see injustice and you know it's time to pick up your mirror. Maybe you see something happening in your jobs or in your schools that withholds justice from your coworkers. Maybe you see something happening in society and you feel led to pick up the cause. Maybe you see something even happening in your church body and you know you need to speak up. I wanna encourage you in that. That is kingdom work. Calling out injustice though, it sometimes comes with a personal price and that is really scary. But I, sometimes you can make powerful people angry and that might feel frightening, but I wanna encourage you in it. Like Jesus said, always pray and never lose heart. Um, so I think that my favorite part of this is the reality that Jesus knew just what we needed when he told us this parable. He knew that this work that we're all on is heavy and hard. He knew that it's something that we're gonna wanna quit. And he gave us this parable to encourage us to not quit, to always pray, and to never lose heart. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, as you start to kind of dig into where you are and think about yourself and reflect, I just wanna encourage you, be creative. This is a really weird time of life. All the ways I know for me personally that I would be supporting someone or um, taking part in normal everyday life, I can't do that anymore. So it takes a lot of creativity to think about ways to remain in community. Don't quit. There is so much beauty that can be created when people 
pursue kingdom justice because kingdom, kingdom justice heals hearts, it heals communities, it brings people together. And I really want to encourage you to whatever that hard thing is that you don't wanna do, I wanna encourage you to lean into it. There's probably something there for you. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We are the faith on the earth. It's us. And I want to encourage you in that to not lose heart or grow weary. I'm going to pray us out. Lord, I just want to thank you for this time together as your people. I want to pray for our hearts as we continually recenter ourselves on you. I thank you for this time that we get to connect, no matter how different it is in what we've been used to. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our world. In your name, amen. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, Johanna. That was brilliant. All right. So um, we're going to do into a time of communion. Um, if you have your communion elements, please gather them together. I'm going to try to do this with a handheld mic and two elements at the same time. Here, let me do this. There we go, see? So there are two elements uh, in communion. Uh, communion is, uh, uh, I guess you could look at it as, as sort of the common union. It's the thing that we all do that binds us together. Um, in Christ, there is the body of Christ, which has been broken for us. There is, uh, there is the blood of Christ, which has been poured out for us. Um, this sacred meal is the last thing that Jesus did before he was dragged away, um, unjustly tried in the middle of the night in a sham trial, um, experiencing the injustice that this woman that Johanna just taught us about experienced. Um, and he was beaten and his body was torn apart and he was crucified. Um, and all of this happened so that, really for several reasons, so that the... Uh, the might, the powerful might of the empire could be shown as completely impotent. And second, um, to show how salvation enters into this world. The body of Christ broken and poured out um, for the sins of the world. And so if you would with me, take a piece of bread, take the bread, the body of Christ, allow it to be broken, um, dip it in the glass and do it in remembrance of, uh, of what Christ did for us. Um, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Father, thank you for uh, your sacrifice to us. Allow us to see it happening around us, uh, your story playing out. May we see the cry of the widow, however that takes shape in our society, um, whether it's our oppressed brothers and sisters uh, of color, whether it is um, the orphan children, whether, whether it is the forgotten people who live and work in the garbage dumps of South America. Wherever it is, let us see. Let us recognize that these people are made in your image. Let us strive towards them. In whatever way that we can, let us be the witness. Um, let us speak truth to these judges of this world and let us show them what true power really looks like. The body of Christ broken and poured out. Thank you, Father, for your sacrifice for us. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's pray our collect prayer together on our way out. Oh God, our helper who is present with us, 
Help us to silence the noise around us. Lead us to a place of rest and internal peace. Strip away the wax we use to cover our flaws and bring true healing to those broken pieces. Remind us of the purpose for which we were created so that our lives and characters become a reflection of you, bringing your kingdom to earth. In the name of Jesus, amen. We love every one of you and we miss you. Reach out with whatever you need, big or small. And uh, as your family, we will do what we can to meet it. Um, Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Have an amazing week. Go in peace.